This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Luna Love of the Podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Araqual people of the Bunjalung Nation, and pays respects to elders past, present, and emerging. I'm your host, Jordana Levine. How the hell are we all feeling? We are officially into Scorpio season. If you are listening on the day that this episode airs, it is the Scorpio new moon and solar eclipse. If you haven't listened to the last episode, I highly recommend that you do that. We spent half an hour talking all things Scorpio. It's likely you've been feeling this eclipse already, even though it's happening this evening. I spoke a lot last week in that episode about transformation and, you know, being catapulted into your next chapter. And I feel like it's important that I elaborate on that a little bit because I had a few conversations with a few people over the weekend. And I think there's some things that need to be clarified. You may feel nothing. Yeah. You might not really be feeling anything. And I am touching all of the wood in my house right now. I've just got my hands on the wooden coffee table. Um, I have not experienced much yet. Famous last words where I have some friends who are going through it big time right now. Now, if you are not feeling much, perhaps, you know, you're exactly where you're meant to be. No shedding necessary. And that's not to say that if you are experiencing massive shifts and changes and deaths, that you were off path. One is not better than the other. It is what it is. Surrendering to whatever comes up is what we're being asked to do. Nothing more, nothing less. I actually had a girlfriend ask me yesterday if she needs to be instigating changes, moving chess pieces, shaking shit up to get the most out of this Scorpio energy. No, no. (laughs) I think what I said is no, like that. Don't do that, yeah? Don't text exes to rock the boat. Don't quit jobs for the sake of it. Do not cut your fringe. I repeat, cancel that hair appointment. The necessary changes will happen 
if they're meant to, the layers will shed organically. Don't go ripping off your beautiful soft skin. Okay? We good? (laughs) Do we understand? Great. Let's get into this week's episode. As promised, I have a sexy, sensual, and very Scorpio interview for you with the beautiful Eleanor Hadley, who is a sensuality coach and sex educator. Eleanor and I spoke about so many things, including but not limited to this idea of sensuality versus sexuality, the suppression that we experience around sex and talking about sex how to give an embodied lap dance, which is magnetic and hypnotic, sharing and taking nudes or sexy selfies, why Eleanor doesn't believe in foreplay, what? And so much more. It's a juicy, juicy app. Before we dive in, I also just want to say a big thank you to everyone who booked in for natal chart readings. Uh, November is pretty much booked out now. I think there's one available spot in November. Maybe by the time this goes to air, it won't be there. Um, But there's still plenty of room in December and the months that follow. So if you do want to have a natal chart reading, I'm sure you're going to want to have one in a few months time. So make sure you book that in. Um, Also, I mentioned last week that I was going to talk about Mars retrograde in this episode. But you know what? I'm going to save it for next week's episode because there is already so much to take in uh, with this episode and this interview with Eleanor. And I want your mind to be fresh (laughs) when we talk about Mars going backwards. It's fine. It's going to be fine. It's fine. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with the beautiful Eleanor Hadley. Eleanor, welcome to Lunar Love of the Podcast. I start off with every guest asking them what their sun, moon, and rising sign is. Okay. I'm a very, very proud Taurus sun. Okay. Cancer moon. Yeah. And an Aries rising. Oh, why do you say it like that? Um, I struggle with Aries as an energy, <laughs> but it's also a huge part of me, so... There's some conflict there. What what part of the Aries energy do you have conflict with? I mean, it's a very conflicting sign to start with, but what, what is it that you find conflicting about it? I think just in my experience, I've met some assholes who are Aries. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's it. part of me. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's interesting that it's your rising sign though. Like, do you feel like that's sort of the energy sometimes that people read from you? I think so. I think like sometimes people can assume that I'm, you know, this sort of confident, direct, um, kind of assertive person. And obviously I am in some ways, but I resonate so much deeper with my Taurus side. That feels like me. Yeah. And let's talk about why that is. What part of Taurus are you resonating with? I am so very sensual. Yeah. Like the minute that I heard that Taurus was the most sensual sign, I was like, oh, that explains <laughs> everything in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And are you really sort of into the aesthetic and like beauty? So very much. Everything has to be beautiful. I feel deeply uncomfortable in like a bland or ugly environment. Everything needs to be pretty. Um, I really just love the beauty in things. 
Okay. And let's talk lastly, just because we're talking about all three, let's talk about the Cancer Moon. Mm. Sensitive Sally on the inside. Yeah, it's a weird one. And I think maybe my Aries kind of gets in the way of it sometimes, but I can be very, very soft and sensitive, but it's really only something that's going to come up when I feel really, really, really close to you. Um, I don't show it very often. And the archetype of the crab for cancer really, really resonates with me because like I can have this hard shell and like you're not getting in until you know, I feel safe. And then it's just total mush. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, that's very resonant for cancer, but I think also that's very resonant for anyone's moon sign. Like it's very rare that people outside your inner circle or intimate relationships will get a taste of your moon, you know, do you feel comfortable sharing it? Now I've invited you on for Scorpio season (laughs) and I am surprised to find that there is no Scorpio in your chart or is there in the back end? No, there's not a lot. Um, I think I have my Pluto in Scorpio, Mm. I think. Um, but no, it's, it is surprising. I don't have a lot of Scorpio energy in my chart at all. Okay, well, let's let's talk about why you are here and why I would have attached you to Scorpio and why I invited you on for Scorpio season. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. So I'm a sensuality coach and a sex educator, and I am currently most known for being the lap dance girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I teach embodied lap dance um, online, in person, and speak at events and also write for a bunch of publications all about sex and pleasure, embodiment and seduction. Yeah, beautiful. Now, I first met Eleanor um, when she was part of a writing group that I was running. And what I found so funny was that every time we were doing any kind of group sessions and you were talking about your work, all of us, the entire group would just fire sex questions at you because everyone wants to talk about it, but nobody is. So why is that? Oh my goodness. It is so cloaked in shame. Just the topic of sexuality is super taboo that even when I started my path in this sort of trajectory, I was adamant that I was all about sensuality, but not sexuality. Yeah. And it's only been as I've gotten more comfortable and kind of started giving less and less fucks that I've allowed myself to really explore sexuality and speak openly about it but it is so taboo there's so much shame that we get ingrained in us from very very early on in our society and it's just this weird thing that it's so very very important we all are here because of sex and yet we can't talk about it right well I mean that's kind of what I wanted to say to you it's like sex is such an innate part of being human like I mean, biologically, it's how we reproduce, first of all, but it's also how we form connection. It's how we find intimacy. It's how we receive and give pleasure. I mean, there's so much to it. Why? I mean, yeah. And yeah. Why is it so taboo? And why is there so much shame? What are those conditionings that you've seen or noticed throughout doing this work? Gosh, there's so much. I think a lot of it does come from, um, our patriarchal society and a lot of it is to do with oppressing us um, because if we 
realize that sex has the potential to take us into these like transcendental states and not your run-of-the-mill sex necessarily but you know it is possible for us to really kind of reach enlightenment to by just having sex and exploring intimacy and pleasure with ourselves and with other people if we knew that we wouldn't sort of listen to all of these other rules and all of these things that tell us how we should live and what we should do it's such a powerful force and I think that can be threatening sometimes especially when we look kind of back at the history of the church and religion and all of those sort of things that are so influenced um, by our society our society is so influenced by them Um, but it's just so ingrained from such a young age you know don't touch yourself you know masturbation is dirty don't dress like a slut Um, all of these things that we get told they kind of compile inside of our brains Mm. and they make it so that we shut our own sexuality down because it's dangerous to express it yeah and I guess the thing is it's like it's not even shame around sex like to wider society we it almost sort of shows up within you know with our friends who we would you know speak to any like speak to them about anything or even our partners like not feeling um like this the space is safe enough or that it's okay or that it's normal Mm -hmm. to want something or desire something so what do you what do you think some of the best ways are for us to start deconditioning that shame and I know that's a big loaded question but like in in simple terms it's a great question and I think it's so wildly important that we do start to decondition this shame and I think we just need to start off with really questioning our conditioning and thinking who taught me this who benefits from me feeling ashamed of my sexuality because most of the time you're not benefiting your partner's not benefiting but you know some grander kind of overarching figure might be and so really really ask yourself where did this belief come from Um, I've been working with some clients recently and it's just so interesting to find those little threads you know oh their mum said um, when they were you know four like don't touch that get your hands out of your pants that's dirty yeah that just kind of is the little seed that starts to grow and inside you think, oh, I'm not allowed to actually masturbate. That's wrong. That's dirty. There's something wrong with me if I do that. And we make part of ourselves wrong. And so it's really going through that process and questioning any block that's coming up around our sexuality and where it came from and starting to kind of shed those layers. And then I also think it's just so important to have these conversations to Listen to people talk about sex, read more about sex, speak to your friends about sex, speak to your lover about sex. The fact that we so often can't talk to the person that we're having sex with about sex, our desires, our preferences, our fantasies, because we feel embarrassed, it doesn't make sense to me. It makes sense because I understand (laughs) all the reasons why that might be difficult, But at the end of the day, if you are sharing intimacy with someone, we should be able to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I am really mindful when I 
do interviews about sex. I've done a few over the years that I don't reveal everything about my sex life on my own podcast show because, you know, I don't think that's anybody's business, strangers. But I'm going to say this. The last um, partner I had, we actually spoke all about our sexual desires, our kinks, the things we expect, the things we don't like, what we give to consent to, what we don't long before we had sex. And when we finally did, it was the most incredible sex I've ever had. Yeah, it makes such a difference. And I, I'm not saying, you know, that everybody needs to have that meeting beforehand. I guess the meeting itself was was foreplay in itself, you know. But what, the fact that we were able to do that, and I'd never, ever done that before, it was the most liberating experience in the moment. Absolutely. And I've had similar experiences. The more that you talk about sex, the better sex you're going to have. Yeah. And I really think that the conversation should never stop. It should be before, during, after sex. And there's always going to be a before sex, (laughs) whether that's, you know, a week before or an hour before. There's always going to be an opportunity for you to have these conversations and to check in with one another and think, and have that conversation afterwards and say, what was your favorite part? Or what do you want to try next time? Hey, that was really good. I loved when you did this. And then just checking in, it allows you to become more aware of what you like and also more highly attuned to your lover. Because so often we just have this idea that there's this one way to have sex. There's this little script and I've got to do it this way, this step, this step, that step. And now we're done at the same time. That's what (laughs) movies tell us is, is true. And it's just not. No. And so sometimes we can be left feeling like, oh, it wasn't that satisfying. But why? I don't know why it wasn't satisfying because I've never really actually unpacked or really interrogated what it is that I like and what I don't like and how I can share that with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the question off the back of that is, do you think most people have taken the time to figure out what they do like? Because I, in the last book I wrote, Make You Happen, I wrote an essay called, I'm not sure if if we've spoken about this, but I, I wrote an essay called, How Do You Know If You're Good At Sex? And, and it came off the back of a girlfriend, like boasting to me how great she was at sex. Like I'm the best at sex. I'm so great at sex. And I was like, wait, what, how do you, how do you know that? I've had good Mm -hmm. sex and I've had bad sex. Anyway, I've interviewed a bunch of strangers. And when I asked them the question, how do you know if you're good at sex? They, majority of them, I'm saying 95% came back and said, if my partner is satisfied, then it was good sex. That's not good sex to me. I mean, it is, of course, they should be satisfied, but I also want to get satisfaction and pleasure from the experience. Do you think people take the time to figure out what it is that gives them pleasure or is it more, a generalised question, but is it more about what can I do for my partner? Great question. And I think that it really depends on the gender that you yeah having the conversation with that (laughs) so if we can speak in the binary I think a lot of men um are brought up in a way that kind of tells them that their sexuality is actually okay masturbation is normal um I mean sometimes they're told that it's unhealthy and you're not meant to and it's a sin rah 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 
Um, but overwhelmingly, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, men are really sexual. Men are the ones that really like sex. And they're the ones that are going to masturbate all the time. And that's normal, um, which it is. And that's totally fine. And so I think because of that experience, they do know in some ways what they like, how they like their genitals to be touched because they're practicing essentially all the time. (laughs) But then if we again look in the binary on the opposite end of the spectrum, and if we talk about people with vulvas, often we are discouraged from even touching our own bodies, our own genitals, let alone actually self-pleasuring, masturbating, and really exploring different types of pleasure, whether that be with um, fingers, with that, whether that be with dildos or vibrators, whatever. Yeah. It is seen as way more shameful and taboo and almost gross. And so there are so many people and many, many, many of my clients included that come to me and they say, I don't actually know how to self-pleasure. I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know how to, you know, explore that. I feel like there's something wrong with me um, that I don't feel the urge. I feel like there's something wrong with me because it takes too long. It feels too difficult. I can't get out of my head. And so if we think about that experience and the difference there, we're often conditioned, especially as women, to see that like a gold star, a little tick of approval is that we made them come. Yeah. In a heterosexual setting, oh, I made him come. Amazing, cool, good job for me. But we don't often prioritize our pleasure or we don't know how to prioritize our pleasure and speak up for ourselves because we haven't actually explored what we like, what positions feel good. Do we like internal stimulation? Does it feel good for us? Is external the way to go? What kind of um, lead up do I need? Do I need to feel safer? Do I need a different context, a different environment? There's so much involved for us. And so I think that there's a, a huge, huge difference when it comes to gender and our our like experiences growing up. Have we actually taken the time to explore our pleasure or not? Have we been encouraged to do so? Mm. And that always is going to relate to partnered sex. Yeah. And so... If you're like, oh, am I good at sex? And you're only measuring it by their satisfaction. It's an important part because you don't want to be a selfish lover. But often we're thinking, oh, man came, gold star, good, done. But not, did I come? Did I enjoy pleasure? Um, And is orgasm the pure goal of sex? Yeah. It's not. Intimacy, connection, and pleasure is orgasm isn't the only goal but that's what we use as like the measuring stick do you think it's fair to say that women invented the fake orgasm and for this reason um it's to again make their partner feel like they have satisfied you so that they are ultimately satisfied by the end of it oh my goodness I don't know if they invented it, but they have definitely perfected it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so faking orgasms is such an interesting, controversial topic because um, I'm of the opinion, don't ever fake orgasms. It's really sending a message essentially to your partner that, yes, what they're doing is good and it works. 
And you're sending yourself a message that you don't prioritize your pleasure enough to speak up for yourself and to advocate for your pleasure and say, sorry, that didn't really work. Or, hey, let's try something else. I actually would prefer this. I don't like, you know, internal stimulation. Or like setting time expectations. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So a little golden rule is we need, if we're having um, penetrative sex of any style, um, fingers, toys, penis, we definitely need minimum 20, at least 20 to 40 minutes of lead up before anything enters us. Oh God, I hope men are listening to this podcast. Send it to your partners, ladies. <laughs> okay, okay. so that is a long time. Yeah, 20 to 40 is. minutes is a long time. It, that's the lead up. That's yeah. the lead up. And so I often refrain from using the term foreplay because it's very, very heterocentric, very heteronormative. It insinuates that penis in vagina is the only style of sex that exists. Okay, yeah. Um, and that everything else is is just like, you know, the lead up only. And so when we say the 20 to 40 minutes, that's if you are going to have any type of penetration. Um, and I always talk about, you know, this idea of working from the outside in. For us with vulvas, we need that time to warm up. And the easiest way to kind of illustrate this is... We are all familiar with a flaccid penis versus a hard penis. Now, it's very unlikely that we're going to try and have penetrative sex with a soft dick, right? So why on earth would we try and do that with our vagina, with our vulva? We also have erectile tissue. So erectile tissue is what makes the penis hard. It's also what makes the, the vulva and the vaginal canal engorge and expand and fill with blood so that we can feel more sensations and it takes us a little bit longer than it does for a penis to get hard but we need that to experience the depths of pleasure that we're body that our body is capable of if we're going straight for the goods it's not going to be as pleasurable it might even be painful uncomfortable and this is why there's a lot of reasons but this is one of the reasons why a lot of People don't actually like penetrative sex. It doesn't feel good for them because that's not where as many of the nerve endings are. We need the clitoris. We need that stimulation. And if we're ignoring it or if we're just going straight to like pounding and doing a little jackhammer situation, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Like you're not going to try and um, pleasure a man by only kind of, you know, going around the base of their penis and not touching the tip. They're going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Please, for the love of God, touch the tip. And also like on that, on that note, how many men don't communicate that to their partners? Because I mean, men, not to generalize again, and we're talking binary once more, Mm -hmm. but men can lack the communication skills when it comes to the bedroom and women, a lot of the time from conversations I've had with girlfriends, and maybe you can confirm this or not. Um, want to be doing the right thing all the time. But you don't know if you're doing the right thing if you're not getting any feedback. (laughs) No, and you can't know if you don't communicate because the thing that worked for your last partner that felt amazing for them and always got a great quote-unquote result might be something that actually repels your next partner. 
maybe it you know especially nipples so some people love nipples they can come from from nipple stim- stimulation others are like don't you dare touch me there it hurts it's sensitive i hate it it can actually shut you down and so it's really important that we have this communication because you can think i'm so good at sex i just have like this like one move and like you know i'm just so great at it. i'm just gonna like do this and not actually check in Meanwhile, your partner's there just kind of being thrown around like little sack of potatoes. And you're like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> that's not, that's not my clit. <laughs> you know, that's the wrong spot. That doesn't feel good. It's so important to check in, ask, you know, do you like that? Do you want this? How about here? You know, make it normalized talking during sex. Yeah. Yes. Like in the midst of agreed, agreed. What? is the difference you touched on it earlier but let's explore it a bit deeper what is the difference between sensuality and sexuality oh my goodness this topic has always fascinated me so back when I was adamant that I was only about sensuality and not sexuality um, I was really really trying to to differentiate the two now the the two of them are completely separate and very very intertwined so sensuality in my definition is to be deeply connected to and aware of your sensual world I think of sensuality like mindfulness 2.0 but with like an embodied twist so to be mindful is okay yep I can see these things I can smell these things I'm aware of these things but to be sensual is to really connect with and savor in your senses So it's really enjoying the moment. It's like, oh my gosh, this smells so good and it gives me pleasure. Or like that touch, that type of touch on my body feels so good and I'm highly attuned to my senses, to my sensations, Mm -hmm. and I can actually deeply embody them. And sexuality, of course, is more about um, the sexual acts. It's about um, pleasure for sure and so it really intertwines with sensuality um but it's more genital focus it's more um like sexual energy and so the way that they intersect is the more ability you have to connect with your sensuality your sensual self the better your sex is going to be just immediately because you are able to enjoy that sip of tea that feels so good then when your partner touches you in this certain way, you're going to be so highly attuned that you can feel more sexual pleasure as well. So they really, really complement one another. Okay. So how do we explore our sensuality a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Sensuality is something that you can explore literally all the time. Like right now I could just run my hands up along my arm and tune into that subtle sensation of my skin on skin and slow it down. I think that stillness, that slowness, that breath really invites you to get out of your head and into your body. Sensuality for me is all about embodiment. So it's not something that we can just kind of talk about and be like, oh, yes, now I am sensual. It's something that we need to drop into, connect with your body more. My favorite way to explore sensuality is through movement. Um, My whole background is in movement, in sensual movement in particular. 
And when we allow ourselves to move in a way that is fluid and flowy and feminine, as opposed to rigid and linear and masculine, we just unlock this whole new world of sensation. And it's so beautiful. Okay, this leads me in beautifully to your lap dancing, as you referred to it earlier. Um, I, <laughs> I've watched many videos of you lap dancing, come to think of it, um, and it's quite transfixing and hypnotic, I have to say. What I love most about watching you do that is how much pleasure it looks like you're getting from the experience I have to say the people whose lap you're on, a lot of them have been pulled from the audience. So they look a bit shell-shocked, but I imagine if it was a partner um, or someone who you're intimate with, it would be a really pleasurable experience for them as well. How is it that you got into this and, and actually teaching the art of seduction through, through lap dances? Oh gosh. Firstly, thank you. Um, (laughs) It's such a pleasurable thing. You're correct. It is so enjoyable for me. Um, And I often talk about the difference between performance and embodiment. And the reason I call my style of movement embodied lap dance is because it's very different to putting on a performance in a show. Yeah, It's kind of hard to translate that when I'm literally being filmed on stage giving a lap dance to a stranger. (laughs) But the energy there is I'm embodying this and you just simply have the pleasure of witnessing me while I do my thing, but I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to be sexy for you. I'm not trying to, I'm not doing a choreographed routine. It's always freestyled. And so the way that I kind of got into this is years ago, I used to own a pole dancing studio and naturally um, we had a lot of hens nights that we would teach on the weekends where a group of some willing, some very unwilling <laughs> um, bridal parties would come to our studio and we'd teach them just the basics. It was always very cheeky, very light, very silly because a lot of them often didn't want to be there and they were just looking at me from like the back of the room or even the couch if they refused to join in. And just like I could see them just seething and looking at me like, what a slut. Oh, and so, <laughs> oh it was huge. But In these um, hen's nights, we would teach a little lap dance routine. Now, it was always very performative. It was always, always to pony by Genuine because, of course, it was. Of course. If you had made me guess the song, I would have said that. (laughs) A thousand percent. It's got to be pony. And so it was always really silly. We'd make it just really light just so that we weren't intimidating them. But it was very much focused on pleasing that partner and like trying to be sexy and put on a show for them and so that's where I first started teaching lap dance but it really doesn't didn't resonate with me back then and then it wasn't until oh gosh a few years ago now when I was at a women's embodiment event in New York and the host of this event had brought along a man like a just a you know, signature man, (laughs) just to be able to sit in a chair. And the invitation was, who would like to give him a lap dance? Now, everybody like kind of like awkwardly squirmed in their chairs and they looked away and they're like, absolutely not. You're like, I happen to be an expert. (laughs) Like, I'm like shooting my hand up immediately. Like, yes, yes, of course I'll do that. I would love to. (laughs) And, you know, I, I did that. It was fun. It was great. I really enjoyed it. 
I shared that video on socials and suddenly I had heaps of people being like, holy shit, teach me how to do that. Um, I spoke later. I actually hadn't met the guy at the time. I didn't know his name. His name is Dom. He's a beautiful man. And I talked to him about the experience as well. And I decided to start teaching a different style of lap dance to what I had been exposed to in the past, where it was less about impressing that person and more about being witnessed in your full embodiment, Mm. allowing yourself to really luxuriate in your own body, in your own sensuality, and simply let yourself be seen by your partner. Because that's what's hypnotic. That's what is magnetic. They aren't looking at the moves and the dance choreography. Nobody cares about that. That's not what it's about. Yeah. Like I could spend five minutes just like slowly dragging my fingers along my body and just making eye contact. And they'd be transfixed because it's about the energy. And so I wanted to share this with people as a way to deepen your connection with yourself and also deepen your connection with a partner. It's such a beautiful way to really kind of enhance that intimacy with a lover, if it's something that you choose to do with a lover. But even in my classes in person, when people practice on friends or strangers that they've just met, there's something so beautiful about the reaction when people go, oh my God, that was amazing. I can't believe I got to witness that. Mm. It's really special. That's really amazing. So you do do in-person events, but people can also learn this through online, like an online course have you got? Yeah, yeah. So I taught it all over the country for a while and I had so many people asking me, please make an online course so that we can learn it from home. And so I did just that. Um, And this course goes really into like my philosophy behind embodiment um, and how to confidently command the room to make eye contact and feel comfortable with that to luxuriate yourself and there is a routine in there and some basic moves um, but it really is about that energy and really really allowing yourself to be witnessed I often talk about the difference between the person sitting in the lap um, in, in the chair the lap and the <laughs> lap dancer yeah um And these energies are really important to have this polarity come through. So we've got the surrenderer, the person who is letting themselves be seen. And then we've got the space holder. And the two energies are really important. That person in the chair is holding space for you, allowing you to feel safe enough to be seen. And you're demanding their attention through Mm. your energy. And so the course goes really in depth about how you can do that, um, how to set the space, creating the right environment all of these things. Love it. Now, I want to kind of go further on this point of being witnessed and talk about nudes. Yay. Nudes, full stop. Um, I guess in a few different contexts, there's been a lot, I guess, over the last few years of as we've moved into the digital age of the fact that if you post something online or if even if you just send, you know, a sexy pic to a partner and then that is on their phone and then you break up, that can end up anywhere. I feel like um, understandably a lot of the education around that for young women and men um, has sort of made everyone a little bit scared. But there is something so beautiful about being able to be witnessed 
be able to, um, you know, take a sexy pic of yourself and send it to a partner. So what I want to talk to you about, I guess, is the ways in which we can do that. And uh, if you have any hot tips. (laughs) I think that nudes and, you know, taking sensual self-portraits is such a beautiful expression um, and a really lovely way to celebrate your own self your own body your own sensuality and it's so nice to be able to share that with people and I absolutely understand you know sometimes the hesitation that to me kind of speaks to this broader issue that we see sensual celebration as wrong you know the idea that being sexy or sensual and you know your body is somehow wrong There's a huge difference, though, between um, sending something for sexual gratification Mm. versus sending something for sensual celebration. Yeah. And I think that it's, I mean, either are, are totally fine. It's entirely up to you. But I obviously err on the side of sensual celebration because that's just my thing. And I think it can be so beautiful, like, just to take a photo, do a little photo shoot at home for yourself set some mood lighting, try some different poses, really explore and feel into your own body as you're doing it rather than just being like, oh, I need to take a, what's a sexy photo? And often a sexy photo is performative. We're trying to like be sexy, quote unquote sexy in the way that media has portrayed sexiness And it's often very, very external. It's like, okay, how do you look? And what kind of sexy pose can you make to make me feel turned on? Whereas sensual sort of um, self-portraits, I think are less about I'm trying to turn you on and more about I am embodying my own pleasure my own sensuality Mm. and it's more like this artistic expression and I just think that's so so beautiful to be able to share with people absolutely so uh, I saw on Instagram that you had started a group for sensual self-portraits tell me a little bit about that so this all happened so organically it was so fascinating because I was just hanging out in my room one weekend morning in the sunshine and I'm always naked on my balcony every morning in the sunshine anyway. And I was like, I'm just feeling myself. And so I took a few nudes, um, a few you know, lovely self-portraits in these sensual sort of style, but I'm not dating anyone right now. And so I was like, hmm, I don't actually have anyone to send this to. Um, firstly, I can just enjoy and appreciate myself, but I was like, I want to be witnessed right now. So (laughs) I texted a friend and I said, would you mind if I send you some selfies? I feel really hot and I want you to see it. Um, and she was an enthusiastic yes. So I sent this over. I shared this experience with my Instagram audience on my stories and I was suddenly inundated with people saying, oh my gosh, I love that idea. I want to be able to send nudes without feeling like I'm just going to get a dick pic in return and feeling like I have to now sext and turn you on and that sex is the goal or like turn on is the goal. I really just want to be witnessed in my beautiful body and have that be celebrated. And so this sparked the idea to create a safe private space 
where people can join um, and share their essential self-portraits. And so I created a private Telegram channel. Um, there was a lot of thought that went into it to make sure that there was no screenshots available, that it was nice and private, all of this. And I now have, I think, almost 50 members. And my job is so funny, but I now receive multiple beautiful artistic sensual nudes or it doesn't even have to be nude but these beautiful shots every single day that I share into this group and people are so beautifully supportive leaving lovely messages and celebrating each other and I just think it's something really special. That is really special so how do people become a part of that if that's of interest to them? So I have a link in my Instagram bio um, where you can join. There's all of the info that you would want to know about it and how it's screenshot safe and um, who's allowed in and all of that sort of stuff. Um, So you can find that there. Beautiful. Tell us your Instagram handle now. I mean, we'll get to it at the end, but let's do it now as well. It's at Eleanor Hadley, E-L-E-A-N-O-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Beautiful. Um, All right. The last thing I want to chat to you about is pleasure. And we kind of, we spoke about it a little bit when we were talking about sex and having sex with a partner, but in terms of, I guess, self-pleasure, in terms of pleasuring self or finding your center for pleasure, where is the best place to start? I keep using that as a question, but I feel like for many people, they've never started this exploration, right? So it really is going back to the foundational stuff. Absolutely. And I think that what's really helpful here is to redefine self-pleasure. A lot of the time we think masturbation. And when we think masturbation and we think genitals, we think either some kind of clit stimulator or a dildo. And we're emulating partnered sex. Yeah, And so if we really redefine self-pleasure for what it is, it's pleasuring yourself, finding pleasure in your own body, expanding your ability to feel pleasure. It doesn't always have to be about the genitals. And so I encourage you to work from the outside in. So with my clients, I'll encourage them to really set the mood first. So allow yourself to turn the lights down low, maybe put a candle on, have a space that feels safe, private and comfortable for you. Something that inspires breath. Um, Put a playlist on. My sensual playlist is very popular and very good if you are looking for something. Some kind of sexy music, sensual music that makes you feel really good, that makes your body want to move. Allow yourself to move naturally in a sensual way let yourself touch and feel your own body, not just go, going straight for the genitals, but allow yourself to linger your fingers along your neck, down your chest, over your arms. Let your body move in a circular way. Explore with that movement and that breath. And then you can start to kind of get in closer. Maybe you're massaging body oil on you. Maybe you're even in front of the mirror and you're really like adoring yourself. And then you can start to work into your center and explore massage around your labia and different types of touch around your clitoris and things like that. Self-pleasure doesn't have to look like, oh, here's just that rabbit vibe and I'm just going to shove it on in and expect to have a mind-blowing orgasm immediately. Yeah. The way that we seduce ourselves is going to kind of set this blueprint in our bodies to allow us to expand pleasure when we're in a partnered setting as well. 
sexual chemistry and sexual compatibility do you believe that they are a factor in good sex and what do you think makes us compatible or having sexual chemistry with somebody oh such an interesting question I do think that sexual compatibility is very important in terms of relationships um sexuality is incredibly important when we think about chemistry I think we can often assume that it's like oh is the sex good immediately yeah and it might be because you might just be so in sync and everything's amazing but really you can build that chemistry and that compatibility by actually having a conversation with your partner by being curious I think it's actually more important to be sexually curious about your partner's desires about their boundaries what it is that they're wanting and allowing yourself to be open to exploring that with them um having said that though there are just people that you just don't have a sexual chemistry with right um and I mean this can be just biological it can just be like oh yeah you're just not meant to be together but really I think a lot of the time it's because one or both partners is unwilling to speak up to voice their desire um, or to admit that maybe they aren't like paying attention yeah yeah that makes sense and what do you think about something like libido say being a factor in compatibility because I have to say for me in the past that's probably been the only thing that has made me either compatible or incompatible with someone if our libidos are just off okay this is a really really key question it's a big topic but when we think of libido it's really really important for us to remember that we have differences here um, in our arousal type and our desire type so a little quick overview we have these two different types of um desire spontaneous and responsive now many people particularly those who identify as men will have a spontaneous type of desire which means that they don't necessarily need sexually relevant stimuli to be aroused they're just like oh i feel horny (laughs) out of the blue no reason yeah whereas a lot of people particularly women also have or have instead a responsive desire type and responsive means that something sexually relevant is already happening and my body starts to respond after I receive that mental stimulation and so this is why that build up and that context the environment um, is so important we need a low stress um, context we need um, a highly affectionate highly erotic context often for us to feel like we're safe enough to have our arousal turn on. So when we think of mismatched libido, often it's just one person is spontaneous and the other is responsive. And we're assuming because especially the society that we live in, the media that we consume is through a patriarchal lens. Everything is through the male gaze. And so we assume that everybody's sexual desire is spontaneous immediate suddenly yep at the drop of a hat I can just be ready we're not the same and so if we understand this about ourselves and we have the conversation and we go hey 
what does it take you to feel aroused? Too often people think, oh yeah, we just have mismatched libidos and like he just wants it all the time and I don't. And then he's upset because he thinks that that means I don't desire him, but I really do desire him, but only in these certain conditions. And so libido is so much more nuanced. And we also have um, these different um, systems that are constantly at play. There are our sexual inhibition system and our sexual excitation system. Essentially, these are our brakes and our accelerators. Mm. Different people are going to have different sensitivities. You might have really, really sensitive brakes where it's quite difficult for you to feel aroused unless the conditions are perfect. Whereas someone might have really sensitive accelerators where like anything can turn them on. Neither is right or wrong, but everybody's different. And so the thing that I often refer to when it comes to accelerators and brakes, in my experience, I know for me, one of my big breaks that I communicate with my partners is if there's lyrics to a song playing, obviously if a song is playing and I know the lyrics, if I can remember these lyrics and I'm singing them in my head, it doesn't matter what you're doing down there, I'm distracted. And so for me, that's a break and I communicate that with my partners. And then everybody's got different accelerators. So what we need to do and a really wonderful conversation and even self-reflection exercise to do is to think about, okay, what are things that turn me on? What are things that turn me off? And how do I turn on the turn-ons and how do I turn off the turn-offs? It's much more nuanced than just, oh yeah, my sex drive is low and his is high. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yes. I I just have to say at this point, only because it's been a conversation between my girlfriends and I, is that in certain instances, it's been reversed where female sex drive is a lot higher than male sex drive. And because we are raised in this patriarchal society where we think that men want sex all the time, we assume that there's something wrong with our partner or our man. And so I guess I kind of just wanted to destigmatize that a little bit as well. And that's so important. Like it's, it's so interesting as well, like for me to even just, you know, be picked up on that. I was like, yeah, of course that is the assumption that it's the man who wants the sex and the woman who doesn't, but you're right. In a lot of cases, my, my case and many of my friends as well and my clients, it is often reversed. One partner is going to have a higher um, desire for sex or an easier desire for sex than the other one. And that can wax annoying. Like sometimes it'll be up here and other times it'll be down there. And that's always to do with context. And so, yeah, regardless of where you sit on the spectrum at any point in time, you're not broken. You're not wrong. You are normal. Um, But we just need to communicate with one another to figure out how we can sort of come to a compromise. Beautiful. All right, honey, we might, we might leave it there. Is there any last little thing that you want to say around the topic of sensuality or sexuality? Lean in and allow yourself, give yourself permission to be sensual, to be a sexual person. And remember that it is okay for you to be sexual It's okay for you to enjoy sex. And if you ever have any thoughts coming up that tell you otherwise, 
take that time to reflect and let them out and to start to peel back those layers of beliefs because you deserve pleasure. It's a birthright and I really encourage you to prioritize your pleasure. Where is the best place for people to find out more about you and the work that you do? So you can find me over on Instagram at Eleanor Hadley. My website is the same, eleanorhadley.com. I'm also over on Sunroom and you can find my sensual self-love club in my links and stuff. Beautiful. All right, honey, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 